Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Ooh, what a controversial topic. Now, how many celebrities are going to join the ever-growing list of winery owners or even claim the title celebrity winemaker? It's certainly a tricky one for sure. And after working in the wine industry for 10 plus years, I have wanted to hate, quote, celebrity wines, end quote. When you understand how much work is involved in winemaking, I mean, winemaking ain't pretty. It's actually really goddamn hard. My own experiences involve picking grapes, which for anyone who's done this can confirm it's fun for the first hour. And then as your back starts spasming and screaming at you, you quickly change your mind. When you stand on top of a tank with a plunger, trying to push the grape skins below the surface so it can mix with the juice underneath, that's a term called pumping down, you realise you get a much better shoulder and arm workout than you ever would at the gym. And I mean, I've often heard stories of people getting coated in sticky grape juice when changing over hoses from one tank to another. The romance certainly comes from drinking that bottle of wine. Not so much from the back-breaking wine-making part, that's for sure. But I am personally open to all celeb wines. Yes, I said all. I certainly don't like all of them. There are truly some badly made wines, clumsily bottled, and then labels slapped on them with just a famous name, and they sell bucket loads. However, celebs bring across fans, and that's a fact. They have got more people drinking wines, and well, that's a good thing. So the question always is, how much do these celebrities get involved? Who is officially making the wines? And most importantly, how good are they? Well, I wanted to introduce you to three very different wines that all have great stories, the quality of the wines are great, and of course have a celebrity backing. These wines would also be perfect if you wanted to host a dinner party, and I'm not sure if anyone would ever choose a celebrity theme, but hey, should that appeal to you, here you have your perfect dinner party selections. So. I'm bringing to you a premium Prosecco DOCG called Delavite. And for all you Prosecco haters out there, the quality of Prosecco at the DOCG level rather than DOC is so much better. And it's really worth you trying if you haven't gone there. So the G part, the Garantita of the DOC or DOCG, Denominazione de Origine Controllata, it means you get far superior juice, lower yields, more concentration and flavours, and grapes coming from a very specific area of just 15 communes between the two towns of Conegliano and Valdobbiadene. Now, sneak preview, the celebrities behind these wines are the Delavine sisters. 
The next wine is a Pinot Noir, so this is your lighter option. It's from Central Otago, New Zealand, which is one of the premium producing areas for Pinot. The winery is called Two Paddocks, and this is a wine with actor Sam Neill behind it. You would most likely know him from his roles in Jurassic Park. And then the last one is a Zinfandel, so a grape variety that's very happy growing in California. And this is a much fruitier, more powerful wine. This comes from one of Napa Valley's most historic properties. Now behind Inglenook is multi-award winning film director and producer Francis Ford Coppola, now most famous for his movie, The Godfather. So let me take you through each one in a little bit more detail. So let's talk Delavite. Now this is the three sisters, Chloe, Poppy and Cara Delavine, but I want to focus on their partner in crime. Their winery, the producer that is behind these wines is Foss Marai. Now these guys are widely recognized as one of the premium producers of Prosecco and they are in one of the best regions, as I mentioned earlier, Val Lobiardine, right? in the centre, where there's super steep, stony glacial soils. They are picking their grapes, 40-year-old vines, certainly that go into this Della Vite wine. But these 40-year-old vines, they have to, of course, be hand-picked because they're on 45-degree slopes. Now, do you remember when I was saying winemaking and vine growing is really hard work? Well, I found a quote from the founder of Fosmarai. His name is Carlo Biasotto, and he says... We were children and our parents used to order us to go and pick the grapes. That was the time to cry because we knew how hard and dangerous the work was. <laughs> I mean, this is why in Val Biarne it is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Go there when you can. It's the most beautiful hills undulating at every angle. It is stunning. Now back to the winery. These guys are awesome. They are massive about sustainability. All of their energy is powered by solar panels. They use nitrogen for the wine storage, but it is extracted from the air naturally. And even the corks that they use, they come from forests that are not just carbon neutral, but actually carbon negative. So these guys just go that extra step with everything that they do. Now to set them apart just that little bit more, they are the only wine producer, not just in the Prosecco region, but in Italy, to be cultivating their own yeasts. So all of the yeasts are wild, they're indigenous to the Val de Biardinate region. So over the 30 years, they have created 30 different strains. And fun fact, the Delavine girls, they have a specific unique one just for them that's being used in the Delavite wines. Now, if we talk about the production of the wines of Delavite, the girls get involved in as much as they help pick the blend. So all of the different plots from separate villages, they all get fermented separately and the girls help choose at the end. Also, what I do really like, that second fermentation where the bubbles are created, typically lasts about 30 days as standard, but they have chosen to go with 60 days and that extra time that gives a little bit more texture, it can soften out the wine. So I think that's quite interesting and a little bit more unique. 
Then without even tasting the juice, I do have to give the girls a 10 out of 10 for their bottle design. Do check it out. There's no label. It's simply the Delavite word just painted onto the bottle. Certainly from the perspective of the girls, this was never to produce just a Prosecco for the fun of it. It was something very special for them because every time apparently they ever had any happy moments, it was whilst drinking some Prosecco and all of their family holidays tended to be in Italy. So it's a very special place for them. And if they were going to do it, it needed to be a world-class Prosecco. So I guess we should try it. The nose is medium plus intensity. It's a lot of floral aromas. It's a very much like walking through a meadow garden. A bit of a bit of Parma violets as well. So some chamomile. There's definitely lemon in there. And then there's this like uh, like a honey spiced pear note to it. Very very beautiful. The nose is pretty. Okay, number one, the texture on this wine. It's really soft. It's very, very creamy. Oh, and the finish, finish is very chalky. And actually coming through at the end, you get this real lemon sherbet vibe. It's very soft and elegant, I would say. Mm. Mm. So there's some lovely grapefruit and crisp green apples on the palate and then you get this brioche nature with this lovely creaminess i guess the brioche is coming because of the sugar so this is an extra dry wine that means it's not dry it's actually sweeter than brute so this has 14 grams residual sugar per liter going through those sugar levels so if you ever see different words on the bottle you'll know if it says nature or natural, that's zero to three grams of residual sugar per liter. That's like no sugar added, nothing left, nothing. Then if it says extra brute, that's zero to six. If it says brute, which is kind of that standard dry style, it's zero to 12. So you can see this is just above it, but it's giving a real lift and roundness and that lovely, obviously honeyed brioche notes. So extra dry, or it could say extra sec, especially if it's um, Italian, is gonna be 12 to 17 grams. Then if it says sec or dry, it's 17 to 32. Then demi-sec is 32 to 50. Uh, then when you get to 50, we're talking super, super sweet. And that is do, D-O-U-X, which you won't see that much of. Mm, so this is a elegant, soft, creamy, mineral-led, floral style of Prosecco with really vibrant, refreshing acidity and in a very, very stylish bottle. Oh, and for vegans out there, I should add, it is 100% vegan. This is £26 a bottle and you can get this from Selfridges and Harvey Nichols. Oh, and you can buy direct delavita.com and with every purchase that includes a donation to protect five trees. So that's not bad at all. Certainly not your cheaper end of the Prosecco Superiore spectrum, but the flavours are delicious. I think there's a lot going on. The bottle design, as I've said, is beautiful and actually the winery behind here with the sustainability, with the wild yeasts, their stories, their history, their reputation. I think this is a fantastic bottle. 
to start off that meal if you're going to do your celebrity evening in. <laughs> I would totally pair it with something like prawn toast. With that oily greasiness and this lovely high lift of acidity, I think it would go absolutely perfectly. And actually, when I say about prawn, that slightly sweeter meat, some lovely crab, crab linguine would be delicious. And anyway, dim sum. It, I feel like dim sum, that elegance, that lightness, that freshness would go beautifully with this Prosecco. Right, should we go on to the next one? So let's talk about Sam Neill's wines. As I've mentioned, he is a famous actor. We know him from Jurassic Park. But this is a celebrity that genuinely has always been in touch with the land. So he grew up in the southern island of New Zealand. His family had land, had horses. His dad had a wine business called Neil & Co. So this is not something he has ever done on a whim. And originally, he decided he wanted to buy a paddock and he just wanted to produce enough Pinot Noir for his friends and family. Turns out the Pinot Noir was actually cracking and then this obsession for world-class Pinot Noir began. Now the name Two Paddocks actually began because him and another celebrity friend, film director Roger Donaldson, they bought one paddock each. Sadly, Roger's vineyard didn't really get cracking to be honest and so Sam had to go it alone but did keep the name Two Paddocks. So this was in 1993 and the first wines were produced in 19. 97. Now we should point out where these vineyards are. Sam Neill and the winery Two Paddocks is in central Otago in the southern island of New Zealand and he focuses on Pinot Noir as you already know but also Riesling for the white. Now I have already done an episode on Central Otago so you can go back if you want to know Central Otago in more detail but number one fact it is the most southern wine region of the world. What's cool about Two Paddocks is he has four organic vineyards which is always good and those four vineyards are within the three major valleys of Central Otago. In fact he's the only winery to have vineyards in all three. So he has his first vineyard in Gibston, he has two vineyards in the Alexandra Basin, and then the final one, the Cromwell Basin, a region called Bannockburn, and that has some of the top, top Pinots coming out of it along Felton Road. Definitely go check those out. Now within Alexandra Basin, he has his main vineyard, and that's where the top flagship wine, just two paddocks Pinot Noir comes from. It's where the headquarters is. And what I love about it, it's not just a vineyard, but it used to be a research station for crop and food. So they were growing lavender and saffron, echinacea, so all these medicinal and culinary herbs, along with uh, apple trees, pear trees, cherries, uh, apricots. They're all there still. And in fact... Sam, because he is a man of the land, he takes a lot of these. He takes the lavender and he turns it into essential oils. You can even buy some beautiful lavender oil if you ever get to the cellar door. So all that is still growing. In fact, he's planted a grove of oaks with the plan that he's going to be able to use them to make some wine barrels. In fact, in terms of talking about Sam Neill, he is very grounded, very, very humble. Out of the four vineyards, he planted the first three. He's very, very much involved, however, has over the years built up a winery team. So, of course, when he is flying around and doing other projects, these guys are still very capable of producing the magic. Now, let's look at the bottle of wine I have. I have the Picnic 
2019 Pinot Noir, which is their second one. So the flagship Pinot, it retails for about 33, 35 pounds. Whereas the Picnic is a little bit more approachable, softer, less time in oak, etc, etc. And you can get this from Haynes, Hanson and Clark for £21.50 or New Zealand House of Wine for £21.99. He's using indigenous yeasts and then when it comes to ageing, spends nine months in French oak barriques. 4% is new oak, just a little touch. But typically it's a mix of first to fourth use barriques. Okay, right, let's pour this one. Oh, that's yummy. Like, literally yummy. Mmm, really, really high intensity. It's very aromatic and spicy as well. Okay, there's a core on the nose of red cherries, but then darker cherries making an appearance and a touch of smoke. Actually, I'm going to change that to smoke of incense sticks because it's got this sweeter, more aromatic aroma to it. Or even like a touch of pot puree, dried flowers. It's a beautiful nose. Really, really yummy. Mm. Mm. Actually quite light. So medium minus body. Really silky tannins. Very fresh. Mm. Do you know what? What's really interesting about this wine. Okay, so I'm getting strawberries, red cherries and raspberries. Lots of red fruits, but... It's finishing very saline, very meaty. In fact, loads of mushroom. Now, mushroom is quite a good descriptor for a lot of Pinot Noirs, especially premium Pinot Noir. But yeah, this has a very savoury forest floor mushroom finish, but with gorgeous fruits and some good acidity. Hang on. Uh. And a little bit of that baking spice, cloves. What's amazing about Pinot Noir from Central Otago I always find it goes a little bit further away from that red fruit character, a lot more darker, a little bit meatier, a little bit more intense and a bit spicier as well. And you definitely get that all in this glass. Absolutely delicious. Okay, the fact that it's so mushroomy, I would totally put this with a mushroom risotto. Why not? But the fact that it's actually really light is going to be great with maybe some roast chicken or some pigeon. And in fact, throw in some roasted vegetables with that dish. You know, get some beetroot to balance with that earthiness of the pinot. Then again, this is called picnic, right? So think about that picnic vibe. It's, that's not the reason for the name, but I think it'd go with a really nice pate, some terrines, and also lovely, just light meat, charcuterie, goat's cheese, creamier, milder cheese would be a fantastic spread. Finally, thinking about it, another option, a seared tuna. You know, if you went to the Asian side with that soy sauce again, so bringing together those earthier, but aromatic, sweeter spices in the wine. So maybe like a ginger sesame tuna. I'm sure anyway, there's plenty of Asian tuna recipes online, but I think that would work beautifully. All right, that one gets a huge thumbs up. Let's go on to the third wine. We are now talking about a very historic and iconic winery in the Rutherford region of Napa Valley, and this is Inglenook. 
So dating back to 1880, there was a Finnish sea captain, his name was Gustavi Niebaum, and he started this winery. Now his plan was to make world-class wines, which he did. Even by 1886, he showed all these wines in a New York special tasting, and it was deemed best Californian wines. So he set about setting up this state-of-the-art winery within his chateau. He had one of the first gravity-fed wineries. He also had the first bottling line in Napa. Everything to make sure that the wines were going to be top-notch. Now, they had to stop during Prohibition. That was between 1919 and 1933. After that point, the grand-nephew of Gustave took over because sadly Gustave had passed away. But basically, he was known to have this motto, pride, not profits. And he certainly maintained the quality level. Now, sadly, with their house, with the chateau, with all the vineyards, they actually got to a point when they realised financially they couldn't afford it. And so John Daniel Jr. ended up selling on many of the vineyards and the chateau. Now, these vineyards got sold on to United Vintners, which then went on to another corporation, and unfortunately, the quality level massively plummeted. Now, following this, unfortunately, with John Daniel Jr.'s death, his wife decided to put just the house and all the remaining vineyards up for sale. And this is where we get Francis Ford Coppola getting involved. So it was in 1975. Him and his wife, they were deciding they wanted like a summer house and he always had this plan. He wanted to make some wine for friends and family down in the basement, just like his grandparents did. This was the original plan. Anyway, he buys the house and when he finds out that the chateau and the other vineyards were actually part of Gustave Niebaum's amazing, amazing inspiration and the history, he sets out to reunite everything. And that was always the plan. So 1975, he buys the original house and part of the Inglenook Vineyards. And finally, by 1995, he brings the historic chateau and all the other remaining vineyards back together. Now, before he brought everything back together, the winery was called Niebaum Coppola Estate Winery. So now if you've ever seen some of the older labels, you'll know where the Niebaum came from, the founding proprietor. But now with bringing all the properties together and fighting over trademarks, etc., now the winery can be called Inglenook again. Now, since Francis Ford Coppola has been involved, he's had Andre Cheleshchev getting involved. He is most certainly the number one wine consultant in California of the 20th century. And right now, they have Stéphane Derencourt, who is a incredible top wine consultant of Bordeaux. Go and check him out. And also Philippe Pascal, who is the winemaker of Chateau Margaux, the first growth of Bordeaux. He came over to Inglenook, was working as their general manager for five years, went back to Chateau Margaux, but promised to always be the kind of director of winemaking and oversee the property. So there are incredible skilled people behind these wines. Now the Rubicon is the flagship wine, the Bordeaux style blend. I mean, this is going to set you back around £200. So it's a very expensive dinner party, by the way. Um, <laughs> but it includes some of the Cabernet Sauvignon that was planted even in 1880s, right back at the beginning. Apparently, that is some of the first 
first Cabernet Sauvignon fruit ever to be planted in Napa. So already I hope you're getting an idea, Ingle Nook is just historic, it's amazing. Now today I have a really beautiful bottle that's not as well known and it's a Zinfandel. This is the Edizione Penino 2017, 57.99 from House of Malt or £55 from EW Wines and it's got a really beautiful story. It's dedicated to the grandfather of Francis Ford Coppola. And to save me research time, they've done a great job by putting the information on the back label. So it says, this infidel was created as a homage to Francesco Pennino, maternal grandfather of Francis Ford Coppola, who left Naples in 1905 to seek his fortune in America. Upon arriving in New York, he wrote to his wife, Dear Nina, I am standing in front of the Statue of Liberty. It is beautiful. I wish you could see it. Nina and their children joined Francesco a few months later as a composer and lyricist. Penino founded a music publishing company called Edizione Penino. The company logo is comprised of two images, the Bay of Naples and the Statue of Liberty, reflections of Penino's mutual love for America and Italy. And hence that is on the front of the bottle. So there's a lot of history in this wine. Now the core of the fruit in this wine comes from Zinfandel vines that were planted in 1974 and 1978. So with Zinfandel, look out for labels that do say old vine Zinfandel because they get really jammy, concentrated, powerful, really beautiful fruit and spice flavours. Now this specific wine spends 18 months in French and American oak, 15% new American oak and 10% new French oak. So I'm expecting this to be pretty powerful and pretty intense. Now let's talk about Zinfandel just for a second. So a pause on the beautiful Inglenook story and wines. You may have heard of Primitivo. So Primitivo is Zinfandel, but that's what they call it in Italy. Typically, you'll find it right in the south of Italy in a region called Puglia. Many people thought that is where Zinfandel came from. Well, they're wrong. It turns out with a lot of DNA research and testing, it is now being 100% confirmed that Zinfandel originated in Croatia. And in Croatia, it is called, wait for it, Srijenak Katalanski. <laughs> yeah, Srijenak Katalanski. Go and have a look at the transcript and then you can see the spelling of this wine. Now, this grape variety is often confused with white Zinfandel rosé, which is a sweet and very fruity pink wine. Very different from Zinfandel which is red. And it's a very high alcohol variety, very often getting to 16%, typically medium to full body. Certainly those old vines are definitely going to give you full body. Typically medium to high tannins, medium-ish acidity, medium plus acidity. Loads of black berry, jam flavours, raspberries, sometimes some chocolate and raisin. In fact, I quite like the raisiny nature. And that often comes because Zinfandel has these very tightly packed berries. And what happens is there's a lot of uneven ripening. So you often get lovely fresh fruit and then you get raisins on the same bunch. And so that's often the reason for those raisin flavours. But along with all that fruitiness, you get often some licorice, black pepper, sweet spices, lots of cinnamon. I personally absolutely love Zinfandel. It's certainly that sweeter style of fruit and a jammier, richer wine. Now, it's definitely a signature American variety now. And I guess after that intro, we better taste this one. Oh, this is 
powerful. It's it's deep, it's dark, it's brooding. You can smell the warmth just jumping out of the glass. Loads of black raspberries, blackcurrant jam. There's um, a real smoky tobacco note and some some sweet black licorice and cloves, all those lovely sweet spices. And then there's this nice little lick of vanilla and leather coming through from the oak. Mm. Oh, now you have all that concentrated sweet fruit aromas. Like just think of um jam, like a spicy jam on the hob. But on the palate, you get still lovely full-bodied and a real weightiness, but it's not too jammy. It's a little bit more restrained from the nose. Lovely black currant and black pepper notes straight away. But then they actually go a little bit more raspberry. And then this kind of turns into this cigar box kind of mid-palate. A really, really chewy texture with this kind of medium grippy tannins. There's, there's medium acidity, but it's enough high alcohol. Actually, I'm looking at the bottle. It's, yep, yeah, yeah, 14.8. <laughs> also, remember, you can always lie. Well, not lie, but they can say whatever they want between 0.5. So the fact they put 14.8, they should be telling the truth. Might be more. Um, going back to the wine. You get this lovely finish of vanilla and leather. It's a really long length. It's beautiful. I kind of, it's got a bit of a masculine nature to it. You know, it it has all that real intense fruit, but it's not too sweet. It kind of puts its feet on the floor. It's super, super strong. It's sturdy. It's, um yeah, cracking wine. I think you'd be right at home with a piece of steak. But also if you wanted to do a barbecue, it would fit perfectly with those kind of spices and the tannins aren't too big so it could go with a variety of foods or even like something like bacon wrap barbecue chicken because again the tannins aren't so grippy and there's a fruitiness and a softness to it or something like pulled pork would also do really well so nice juicy meat something with a sweeter sauce could work beautifully I wonder hmm I wonder if bacon wrapped in figs would work or dates. In fact, is it, is it figs or a date? I don't know. <laughs> but um, interesting. I'd like to try that. Right. Well, there you have it. These three wineries definitely, I think, go down a treat, especially if you're drinking with guests and you want something amazing flavors and a good story. I personally 100% recommend these three wineries. Now, of course, there are plenty of celebrity wines to try. If you want to be set back a pretty penny, you have the Ace of Spades champagnes that now have Jay-Z behind them. Many of you will know that the Miraval Rosé wines in Provence have Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie behind the wines, but actually the reason they're so good is it's the Perrin family who are famous for making some of the most amazing Chateauneuf de Pape wines, Chateau de Bocostel. But actually, as we talked about Champagne, the Ace of Spades, one champagne that I haven't tried that I have heard some fantastic things about is the Fleur de Miraval, which is a rosé champagne. And Brad Pitt is actively behind that. 
He's teamed up with the Peters family. So it's Pierre Peters, if you're interested in those champagnes. And in fact, they've produced probably one of the best Blanc de Blanc champagnes that almost nobody seems to have heard of. It's called Les Chetillons, for those of you that want to investigate. Now, I always knew of actor Kyle MacLachlan from Desperate Housewives. I don't know how many of you were addicted to that. I absolutely was. Well, he has a winery up in Washington, where he is from, called Purchased by Bear, and they make some pretty good Cabernet Sauvignon and a cheaper Sidats. Go and investigate that if you're interested. Now, a little more affordable, you have Ernie Els in Stellenbosch. Ernie Els, a professional golfer, for those of you who really like sport. Now, to some other wines that have come out that I haven't tried them all, and some I have, I won't mention any names, but the cheaper end that you can really, really try, and I'll leave it to you to investigate and make your own mind up. Rapper Post Malone, he's just created his own rosé, Maison Number no. 9. Drew Barrymore, she has the Barrymore wines, a Pinot Grigio, some Californian wines. Then, of course, you may be so lucky with quite a few selection of Kylie Minogue's wines. Then you have Cameron Diaz's wines, although I have to actually give a slight opinion here. She has upset a lot of people in the wine industry because she claims how clean her wines are. Now, slight issue with her wines are you go to the website and you actually don't know where any of the grapes come from and there's not that much information. But again... Give the wines a try, see what you think. Oh, there's Sarah Jessica Parker now, she's getting involved. The list goes on, and I would imagine, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, even by next year, there'll be another few that have got involved. So do get back to me, let me know what your feeling is. Does celebrity wines excite you, or does it actually put you off? Now, don't forget, we have one more week of the competition where if you'd like to enter, you have a chance of winning a virtual wine tasting hosted by myself. There'll be six wines sent to your home. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. We're going to make this happen. All you need to do is go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. Thanks so much. (laughs) Once you've done that, screenshot that review and then just send it to me at Yanina at eatsleepwinerepeat.co.uk or on Instagram at eatsleep_winerepeat. The competition ends on Monday, the 30th of August. Now, some people have got in touch with me and said, how the hell do they even do that? And yes, Apple Podcast does not make it easy. So quick instructions. All you need to do is go to the specific page of my podcast and then scroll down through the episodes. And after a little while, you will then have the option to leave some stars and a review. So get involved. I would love you to. And for the rest of you that don't have Apple Podcasts, I do apologize. For now, thank you so much for just liking, sharing, leaving a review or comment on your podcast app of choice. And of course, subscribing if you haven't done it already. Now, to finish off, of course, it's wine quote time. And I found one that I thought was quite apt. And it's from our good old friend, Drew Barrymore. And she says, I'm sure wine snobs look at me and think, how dare you? Yes, well, (laughs) maybe we do. 
Maybe we don't. Anyway, love and light to all of you. Thank you so much for listening as always. You're fantastic. Have a gorgeous week. Drink some delicious wines. And sneak preview for next week, I'm chatting with amazing winemaker Kevin Judd, who started the Cloudy Bay wines. Yes, the famous Cloudy Bay wines, the Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand, from Marlborough. He's obviously started his own winery now. If you don't know what it is, you will do by joining us next week. So I raise a glass to you all. Until that episode, cheers to you. 